Hi. Hello. How are you, weird friends? Welcome back to my podcast. I appreciate every single click, listen, and share. I appreciate each and every single one of you. Yes, you. Before I jump right into this week's episode, be sure to head over to Instagram if you aren't already and give me a follow at Pocketful of Crime. You can find me on Facebook as well. The best form of support I could ever ask of you is to share my podcast with a friend. Let's get into this week's episode. I was so eager to get back into my true crime content. If you missed last week, I did a conspiracy theory episode. So let me know over on Instagram what you think about that content and if you liked it, um, how often you would like to listen and any suggestions for the future. I found this case back when I was covering the Champagne Ramsey series. I was on YouTube and I was listening and catching up to all the Champagne Ramsey documentaries and this case popped up in a recommended video to watch. The name itself didn't match the thumbnail of the video. It was named The Wicked, but the thumbnail was a young girl wearing a bright smile. It was a 2020 episode, so I knew as soon as I clicked this wasn't going to be a young girl wearing a smile for long. I will give you a disclaimer now. I know sometimes I like to listen to true crime episodes in the car, and just warning you, if you do have kiddos around or near, that are able to hear, you might want to come back to this one when they aren't. You are listening to Slender Man. takes us to Waukesha, Wisconsin, part of the Milwaukee metropolitan area. Waukesha is the seventh largest city in Wisconsin, with population estimated at 70,718 in the 2010 census. Waukesha is located right along the Fox River and in 2006 was ranked number 36 in the Money Magazine's best places to live in the United States. In 2017, the average income per family in Waukesha was $81,000 per year. Median home value is $240,776. Home ownership rates are 56.3% owned, 43.7% renters, and 4.5% vacant. I thought this little fact I found was interesting. 48.5% of the homes owned were built between 1970 to 1999. Only 13.6% are built from 2000 or newer. The most expensive active listing I found was a four-bedroom, four-bath, 3,500-square-foot home. Asking price is 825 Hi. I'm Rachel. I'm a licensed real estate agent right here in Colorado. 
I specialize in selling residential, commercial, vacant land, and lots. I recently had a photo shoot to update my headshots and play around with my style. The photographer asked me to describe myself and my business model. I right away answered with, I'm funny and I'm always the goofiest in the room. I'm a mother of two daughters, raising them to be confident and independent. My business model is summed up into quality. I base my transactions off building personal relationships with my clients so I can better help them reach their goals and dreams. I'm 26, which has been a blessing and a curse. Some would say I'm young and new to the real estate game, but I am just as knowledgeable and hardworking. My clientele is made up of all ages, but the majority is the younger, first-time homebuyers. I pride myself in knowing I am relatable to them, I'm comforting and not intimidating. The entire process is made simple, fun, and professional. If you are in the market to buy or sell and live in Colorado, I'd be happy to talk about your dream home and goals. Shoot me an email at rachel, R-A-C-H-E-L, at coloradolandco.com. Now back to the episode, $1,000. It was May 30th, 2014 in Waukesha, Wisconsin. Three 12-year-old girls had a sleepover, a sleepover to celebrate one of the girls' birthdays. Peyton Lettner, Anissa Weiner, and Morgan Geyser. The sleepover went like many other sleepovers do. It was a Friday night. The three girls went to Skateland, a local roller rink for a free pizza to celebrate Morgan's birthday. The girls got back to Morgan's house for a sleepover around 9 p.m. The three girls went up to Morgan's room, where Morgan's mom recalls hearing laughter and running up and down the stairs. Just kids doing what kids do. No one's seen the next events I'm about to tell you coming. This is something right out of a horror movie or a fictional book. Peyton and Morgan had been friends since the fourth grade. Peyton befriended Morgan when she described her as being lonely and didn't have a lot of friends. Anissa didn't come until the sixth grade. She had recently moved and was new to the school and didn't know anybody. Morgan and Anissa struck up a friendship and shared similar interests, such as horror stories and supernatural books. The two didn't have many friends outside of Peyton and each other. The two came off weird, for lack of better words, to other students. Peyton reported not being close to Anissa herself. She stated Anissa was cruel to her and maybe even jealous Morgan was friends with Peyton. I remember being in grade school and having your small group of friends and how difficult it was to share what friends you did have with someone else. Remember I told you that Morgan and Anissa had similar interests in horror stories and supernatural fictional books. Well, Anissa was first to discover and introduce someone so sinister that would change all three of their lives forever. His name was the Slender Man. He was a fictional character created on an online forum for a 2009 Photoshop paranormal image contest. He was found on many sites and forums where Anissa came across him was creepypastawikia.com. Slenderman was tall, thin, 
and wore a black suit. His limbs and fingers were longer proportioned, his fingers almost being able to drag on the ground when he walked. He has a white, featureless face and head. No eyes, lips, nose, ears. Just a white, faceless man. It's said that he preys on children, can cause amnesia, bouts of coughing, and paranoid behaviors. He's even been drawn with tentacles coming out of his back, set to strangle his victims. Slenderman, Slenderman, all the children try to run. Slenderman, Slenderman, to him it's part of the fun. Slenderman, Slenderman, dressed in darkest suit and tie. Slenderman, Slenderman, you most certainly will die. Well, that was your daily dose of creepiness. So Slender Man became crowdsourced. So many internet stories and even news articles that were obviously fake but appeared to be real of children gone missing, people were drawing pictures of him, photoshopping images of him, and even a video game named Slender was released. All of which further brought Slender Man to life. I'm sure you can imagine how such a character could influence a 12-year-old child. I remember being this age, or even younger, back when Bloody Mary wasn't my beverage of choice, but rather a woman seen in the bathroom mirrors. And all of my friends and I would run out of the pitch black bathroom screaming. Or a more recent reference would be Momo, if you guys remember her just a few months ago. I got a letter from the school warning parents of a fictional character, Momo, and it had her picture on there. Horrifying, I know. They sent this letter home with my kindergartner. This Momo was encouraging kids to harm themselves or others and was popping up in kid friendly videos on YouTube. And at this age, how do you defer fantasy and reality? Anissa quoted, I actually thought he was real. This is where the plot thickens. Or should I say the plot was created? According to Anissa, to prove yourself to the Slender Man, you would have to kill somebody. Morgan discovered this slender man lived in a big mansion in the middle of Nicolet National Park. So the two, Morgan and Anissa, set out to find this mansion. This is when Morgan stated, quote, We have to kill Bella. I know what you're thinking. Who the heck is Bella? Well, Bella became a code name for Peyton, so the other two girls could refer to her without blowing their secrets. In order for Anissa and Morgan to live in this supposed mansion in the woods, they would have to kill someone. This is when a six-month plot to kill Peyton began. Two 12-year-old girls plotting to kill one and maybe their only best friend. As Morgan learned more about the Slender Man, it started to dominate her thoughts. 
She grew closer to Anissa over this period of time and more distant from Peyton. Quote, I didn't really know what we were doing, but I didn't want to make Anissa mad. It's hard enough to find friends. I didn't want to lose someone over something like this. End quote. Um, H-E-double-L-O. Hold up. Wait a minute. Let me put my two cents in it. Um, so you didn't want to lose someone over plotting a murder of your other best friend and you've had enough trouble making friends up to this point as it is, but you're going to take one off of the board that you already have by killing her. Hmm. I had a hard time wrapping my brain around the thought of such violence coming from 12-year-olds. As I mentioned before, the planning of this murder took place over six months, which might be more relevant later in the episode, but plenty of time to back out and change their minds. They began to make up code words so that the two of them could talk more about their plan without anyone hearing. They referred to Peyton as Bella. Cracker was code word for knife. Itch was code word for the killing itself. A total of three plans were orchestrated, all seemed to be focused around Morgan's birthday sleepover. Peyton's parents stated that Peyton had been looking forward to the sleepover for weeks and was so excited to go. She even took her American Girl doll, which seems more age-appropriate for a 12-year-old than murder plots. The first plot was to wait until Peyton was asleep at the sleepover, Morgan was going to put on a pair of headphones connected to her tablet and set an alarm to wake up in the middle of the night, 2 a.m. to be exact. She would wake up Anissa, duct tape Peyton's mouth, stab her in the neck, and leave her to die. Morgan did wake up Anissa, but Anissa stated they didn't stab her then because they were too sleepy from skating at Skateland that night. Plans quickly changed and evolved. The girls woke up the next morning, May 31st, 2014, at 5.30 a.m. They did what most kids their age should be doing, played with silly putty, played on the tablet, and played dress up. It was while Peyton was slipping on a pink princess dress, Morgan and Anissa were able to secretly orchestrate plan B. They would go to the park and kill her in one of the bathroom stalls. How do you go from playing dress up to talking about killing someone in a bathroom stall because there's a drain inside for the blood to run down? The girls asked permission to go to the park, which Morgan's mom stated wasn't normally allowed in their home and an adult must be present, but since she had Anissa and Peyton with her, She thought, why not? They are safer together. Morgan took a knife from her own kitchen before they took off to the park. In police interrogation footage, Morgan stated Anissa grabbed the knife from the kitchen and carried it in a backpack, while Anissa stated Morgan had the knife and even secretly lifted up her shirt to expose the knife tucked into her waistband to Anissa without Peyton noticing. On the walk to the park, police asked Anissa what was going through her mind at the time, and she stated, quote, Dear God, 
this is really happening. Sounds like a little remorse coming through. Once again, another opportunity to call it off and to not go forward. The three arrive at the park and inside the bathroom stall, Anissa and Morgan hand the knife back and forth. Almost a game of you do it. No, you do it. In the interrogation, Anissa stated, quote, it's easier to kill people when they are asleep or unconscious and not to look them in the eyes. This is when Anissa tries to knock Peyton unconscious by elbowing her to the forehead and knocking her head against the concrete wall. She was unsuccessful at knocking her out, clearly because I'm about to tell you about plan three here in a minute, but it's unclear Peyton's reaction to having her friend Anissa elbow her to the face. I think if I were in her shoes, I definitely would have squared up or maybe even left. However, whatever happened after that, they were successful at leading her into plan three of her orchestrated murder plot. The three BFFs, yes, I'm being sarcastic, you should know me by now, head back outside from the park's bathroom and Anissa offers up an idea to take a walk around the block. This is where Anissa points out to Morgan some trees, bushes, and some heavy shrub. In Anissa's own words to Morgan, quote, we could take her in there and do the deed. How these two were talking back and forth, planning a murder without Peyton catching on is quite chilling. Peyton was tricked. She was tricked into following Anissa and Morgan into the woods to, quote, bird watch. Yet another actual age-appropriate activity, not including murder. This next quote from Morgan's mouth in a police interview made me sick to my stomach to hear. This shows the cold-blooded, non-remorseful soul that lives inside this 12-year-old's body. Morgan stated, in reference to tricking Peyton into the woods, quote, People who trust you become very gullible, and it was sort of sad. Once inside the secluded woods, out of sight, Anissa requested they play a game of hide-and-seek. Peyton turned to walk off and count while Anissa and Morgan went to find a hiding spot. Anissa stated in her police interrogation, quote, She's going to hide one place, I was going to hide another, and Morgan and I were going to be like lionesses chasing a zebra. I was going to tackle her and Morgan was going to do the stabbing. All of which she spit out with no emotion, no sense of the seriousness of what she just admitted to. Anissa passes the knife back to Morgan. Remember, they exchanged the knife back and forth inside the bathroom. Morgan accepts the knife and duty to do the stabbing, but only if Anissa counts down and tells her when to go. Anissa walked away from Morgan about five feet and yelled, Now. Go ballistic. Go crazy. Make sure she's down. An investigator questioning Morgan asked Morgan what she did next following Anissa's command. Her answer was, quote, stab, 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 stab. Yes, that really came from a 12-year-old girl. Peyton was stabbed 19 times and left for dead. By her two friends, she thought she had and trusted. She had stab wounds to her arms, legs, chest, and abdominal area. 
In Anissa's words, she stated, quote, The whole time, Peyton screamed in agony. Anissa told investigators what Morgan said while she went after Peyton, quote, Don't be scared. I'm only a little kitty cat. Morgan jumped on top of Peyton and began to stab her repeatedly. Peyton attempted to stand up, but she couldn't. She couldn't walk. She kept repeating she couldn't see and couldn't breathe. Anissa and Morgan left Peyton to die. Lying to her, telling her that they would go get help. They didn't go get help. They wanted her to die. They planned six months for this moment. I will spoil it and give you the happy ending now. Peyton survived miraculously. In an interview she gave to 2020, she told her story of getting up, stumbling out of the woods while losing blood, until she spotted a patch of grass to lay down. It was by the grace of God, a cyclist riding a blocked-off trail spotted Peyton lying in the grass, bleeding. He immediately called 911. Officer Dan Klein was first to the scene. He asked Peyton, who did this to you and where did this happen? Most victims don't get the ability to name off their attacker, but Peyton found the strength to answer the officer. My friend Morgan and in the woods. Paramedics arrived and rushed Peyton to the hospital. They had no time to waste. Officers now had two duties. Alert Peyton's family of her condition and whereabouts and to locate these two girls who just stabbed their best friend and left her for dead. Peyton's mom arrived to the hospital just minutes before Peyton was taken to surgery. She described Peyton's condition being covered in stab wounds and she was scared. Nurses were counting the stab wounds, ensuring they didn't miss one single wound. They counted all the way up to 19. Peyton's mother was astounded. Who did this? How did a 12-year-old do this to her daughter and why? The surgeon treating Peyton said if the chest stab wound would have been a width of a human hair deeper, she would have died. Meanwhile, police were on the hunt to locate the other two girls. Authorities visited each of the girls' residents in hopes to find them. Morgan's mom, the house hosting the sleepover, she stated getting a knock at the door from authorities dressed in riot gear. Not knowing of her daughter Morgan's whereabouts since leaving for the park that morning, the officers searched the house. Over at Anissa's house, officers had no luck locating the girls either. They did find Anissa's mom, who frantically thought her daughter was missing because the police didn't reveal to the parents which of the girls were injured, just that they were trying to locate all of them. Anissa's mother searched her daughter's iPad for any clues, but only found a disturbing message that looked like a goodbye letter. The tension in the room went from missing to runaways. Still the same day, March 31st, 2014, around 2.53 p.m., the authorities were able to locate Anissa and Morgan. They were found on the side of Interstate 94, just sitting on the side of the road. Police discovered, along with the two girls, a backpack packed with clothes, granola bars, water, and pictures of family and siblings. By the time the girls were located, the girls had walked five 
hours and were able to make it to the north end of the city. Both girls were detained and taken to the station for interrogations. Parents of both girls were notified and aware of police interrogations since under the age of 18. Neither side asked for lawyers to be present. A parent could have been present during questioning, but investigators stated children tend to be more truthful when not pressured by parents being present. The girl's demeanor was described as calm and meek. Video footage of Morgan shows her alone in the interrogation room, dancing and singing to herself, all while wearing her best friend's blood. Anissa had a blood stain on her black shirt visible to investigators. She had actually worn two shirts, a white shirt under a black long sleeve that had blood stains through both layers. Pictures were taken for evidence. Morgan even asked investigators, quote, what happened to Bella? Is she dead? Followed by, I was just wondering. There was absolutely no remorse, shame, or emotion on either of the girls' faces. Anissa was more willing to offer up exact timeline and details while Morgan had a lot of holes and discrepancies in her story, using a lot of I don't knows and I thinks. She even made the comment, quote, this is going to get me arrested, isn't it? Anissa Weiner was charged with being a party to attempted second-degree homicide. Morgan Geyser was charged with attempted second-degree murder. They were both charged as adults. There is a lot of conflicting opinions based on being tried as an adult when you are 12 years old. I, for one, want to voice my opinion. If you commit an adult crime, you should be charged and sentenced as an adult. This is attempted murder. This isn't stealing candy from a gas station or skipping curfew. Anissa pled guilty but entered an insanity plea. She was sentenced 25 years to life in a state psychiatric institute. Morgan was sentenced the maximum 40 years to life as well to serve in a psychiatric institute. Once in custody, Morgan was actually diagnosed with early-onset schizophrenia. Sentencing came three years after the crime, and Morgan apologized through tears to the family and Peyton at her hearing. The actual creator of Slenderman, Eric Knutson, issued a statement, quote, I am deeply saddened by the tragedy in Wisconsin, and my heart goes out to the families of those affected by this terrible act. Creepypasta Forum also acknowledged their sympathy and reassured they do not condemn or encourage violence. The town of Madison, Wisconsin held a Bratwurst Festival to honor Peyton just days before her return to school. 250 volunteers showed and the community was able to raise $70,000 for her and medical bills. Peyton recovered remarkably well. Her answer to how she managed to crawl out of the woods was, quote, I wanted to live. Peyton's dad expressed he was astonished the way she was able to recover and so quickly. More than 10,000 purple hearts with words of encouragement were sent to Peyton from all over the nation during her time in recovery. Peyton is able to walk with limitations due to breathing struggles. The wounds are deeper 
than just the scars. It's a sad reality that Peyton will most likely suffer from PTSD. She will struggle with putting her trust in people and especially friends. I wish Peyton all the best on her road to recovery, not just healing from the external wounds. Her story and strength is remarkable and I have so much respect for her. On the flip side of that, Anissa and Morgan at the Psychiatric Institute are able to file periodic petitions for release every six months, only if supported by treatment staff. The girls are required to follow a treatment plan and or medication protocol. However, a judge would still have to approve the release if the petition was approved and taken before a judge. There is a Facebook support group named Support Morgan Geyser, arguing she never belonged in adult court. She was a child and a mentally ill child at that. This brings me to my near conclusion of this episode. This brings awareness to a much bigger issue. How are these sites and content affecting our children? These fictional creatures are highly influential, and what should we do to better prepare to prevent these situations from happening? I can't stress enough. Be aware what you give your child access to. Monitor internet access very closely. Set age-appropriate rules and guidelines. Always make sure internet access is in a designated area to monitor and not in a private area of the house you aren't able to watch closely. It is recommended any child under the age of 14 is monitored closely, but I'd argue children of all ages should still be monitored. Children with mental health conditions are extremely susceptible and vulnerable to these fictional creatures and the deep dark web. Stay in tune with your child, ask questions, have those uncomfortable conversations, Talk openly and be honest about these issues and reassure them these creatures are not real. Always periodically, if not always, review your child's browser history. I myself as a mother had to have a conversation with my kindergartner when she was sent home with this letter from the school informing us parents of Momo. I knew about Momo. I have social media. She was everywhere. Everyone was talking about it. However, I thought the best route was to avoid it, to not expose her to Momo if I didn't have to. But I quickly was forced to when she came home frightened by this letter that the teachers asked her to put in her backpack and bring home to me with a picture of Momo's very creepy face on it. So have those conversations with your kid. Internet is not a babysitter. You are the parent. It is up to you to closely watch what you are exposing them to. It is in your hands. With the tech-savvy world that we live in, it is so easy for them to stumble upon things that they cannot unsee on these technology devices. That wraps up this week's episode. Thank you for listening if you have made it this far. If you like my podcast and content, I ask you kindly to share with a friend. I am curious your opinion on sentencing and charges as an adult or a child in this case. Go drop me a comment on Instagram or Facebook. Join me next Wednesday for my newest episode. Until then, 
stay weird, my friends. Oh, and one more thing. Hi, mom. And happy birthday, Leslie.